This is a true story. To find out what happens, what happens? when people stop being polite. Start getting. <laughs> So I want to get the chance to welcome everybody to another episode of The Real World. Um, I got a beautiful young lady in here to discuss some cool stuff about movies. I have none other than Cult Classic. Hey, hey. So you're straight out of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming living the DMV part now, like more yep. DC. Living in DC. Yep. Uh, tell people why you think you're cool. Like I've been following you like as from a friend. And that's how I got introduced to like your platform and what you do and kind of your perspectives. But a lot of my listeners wouldn't know that. So mm-hmm. tell them about yourself. Why, why am I cool? Yeah. All right. So I'm cool. You know what? I just got the best compliment of 2018 the other day. Um, so I, I post on my Insta stories every morning, just random musings that I have about almost anything, anything I come across, anything I care about. And somebody sent me a DM and in our conversation, they said, um, oh my gosh, in your range. And I never aspired to have range, you know, like the ability to touch on multiple subjects is just what I'm interested in, what I'm learning about, what I come across. And I was like, you know, this is the best compliment of 2018. Like I'm good for the rest of the year. The fact that I have range, like I feel like that's a very hard thing to do. Like a lot of people can only speak to one thing or one topic or one subject. So the ability to you know, have what I'm interested in being valued by other people and and getting other people inspired to go be curious about things. Um, I think that's very cool. And I think that's what what makes me cool. That's what I'm hype off of right now. So why'd you pick the name Cult Classic? Cult Classic, because a cult classic is, it's actually a film term. um, And it's, it's a film that was not popular or widely accepted at the time of release. But over time, it becomes like a huge deal. So um, I'm going to butcher the title, but like Rocky Horror Show, like that's a cult classic. Um, You could argue that Friday is a cult classic. Um, It's Pulp Fiction. Uh, Fight Club maybe is a, I don't know how it was received when it it came out, but Fight Club Club could possibly be a cult classic. Um, Just something that acquires value over over time um, by a small, devoted group of people. And I chose it because I feel like I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Like a lot of people, you know, like you might meet me and you might either like me a lot or, you know, I just might not be for you. And so... um, So do you rub people the wrong way sometimes? I don't think I rub people the wrong way. I think it's just human nature. Like, not everybody's going to fuck with every... Can we curse on here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so not, every, not everybody's going to fuck with you, and you shouldn't aspire to that. You should aspire for me. What I do is I, I just aspire to speak to the people that like what I like. Um, the example... The other example I like to use when I'm breaking down cult classic and, and cult TV and why the name is currency. Like, not a lot of people like... A lot of people hate currency, actually. But currency sells out of sells out his shows because he makes music, the music that he wants to make for the people that like what he does. Like he doesn't try to like, oh, I'm gonna make a um, trap song. I'm gonna make a you know insert type of song. He makes 
cloud rap. He makes jet music. He makes high life shit. He makes sneakerhead, car, car nerd type of music for people who like the kind of thing. And, and I think that's perfect. Like, you know, stop trying to serve everybody a mediocre product when you can super serve people that already fuck with you a very great product. I'll keep it real. Uh... Two of my favorite rappers are Joe Budden and Lloyd Banks. Okay. They clearly don't try to step outside the box. They I know don't. Joe has become super industry and he does his me- like media thing. Mm-hmm. I listen to the podcast. But I'm on him because of the bars that he was spitting. Like right. I love, you know, all of the mood musics and all that stuff. I still listen to Lloyd Banks. Right. When Lloyd Banks drops a mixtape, I am the most excited person in the world. I can, you know what? I, I am not that person. Last Lloyd Banks mixtape, I rock with uh, Cold Corner too, but I I get it. Like, I, I understand the, the punchline kick, appreciation yeah. and, the, and, the, and um, the Banks appreciation. Yeah, so as a person who personally, I just enjoy the kind of non traditional music in a sense where, again, uh, my favorite rapper is Redman. Okay. Um, of course, I love Hove. Of course, I love. Are you Nas. from Jersey? I'm not. I just. <laughs> it was the minute that I heard. Um, uh, it was two tracks from Redman when I was growing up. Uh, nobody could tell me that anything he did wasn't dope. Mm-hmm. I thought Muddy Waters is probably the best album of my life. Mm-hmm. Like I still listen to that and rock it, say all of the words. Um, I think why I, I kind of went to Joe Budden. Like I was on the Budden train back when he was doing Focus. Like mm-hmm. I was in college. So I remember when he kind of blew up with Pump It Up, and then he just kind of went to this underground thing, and that mm-hmm. really resonated with me. Like, I was always a mixtape person. Right. So, He's a rapper's rapper. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and not to say that, you know, mainstream stuff isn't cool, but I thought it was more pure if you got into the mixtape form that it wasn't just about sales. Mm. So I, I get it. Like, I'm not going to knock anybody for liking currency. Um, <laughs> Even though I think, isn't his DJ that um, shorty that was on like Basketball Wives or something? DJ Duffy? Yeah. I don't think that that, I, she's French's DJ now. Okay. I think he, he's rocking with somebody else now. Okay. Yeah. But clearly like, she, I feel like she was on that team for a minute. Yeah, she was. She okay. was definitely his like, his tour DJ and, okay. and they, they, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um. So let's kind of get to the shits, right? Right. In the past, I'll say four months, uh, I think we've gotten the chance to see a lot of great black films. Um, obviously, a lot of this stuff never really comes out during the summertime. Right. We're kind of released, you know, either earlier in the year where they don't think we're going to necessarily move units. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of open windows until Marvel started putting out stuff. But right. that was the window that they gave us. Um, then you started to have this stuff that had the indie wave. Mm-hmm. First movie I saw out of the three that I wanted us to discuss was Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was how I actually got introduced to Blind Spider because I saw the trailer for that right. when I saw that. Um, so when I saw Sorry to Bother You, uh, I watched Atlanta. I, you know, I remember Lakeith Stanfield basically being like, yo, come and check this movie. It's going to be dope. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it looks weird. I got a crush on Tessa Thompson. I'll see what's up. Very beautiful. Yo, gorgeous girl. Mm-hmm. Had a terrible interview with Larry Wilmore, but gorgeous girl. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> and then I start to get into it. And by the end of the movie, it has such a weird take. I didn't necessarily want to ruin it for people. But I remember when you were like, yo, I'm about to see it. And I'm like, I don't want to say in the last half hour it goes left. But what were your thoughts on the movie? 
are we can we spoil it i mean it's, yeah it's, at this it's point September, if you haven't seen it yeah. like fuck it like <laughs> it'll come on something else right um so original question which was i'm always my take on the on, a, on the plot twist mm-hmm. so for me everybody so i love lakeith right so i was already primed to see some weird shit from him because i watched his his insta stories and i've watched him and my introduction to him was um atlanta so i've watched him as an actor so i already know that he He's going to be on some whole other type shit. Yeah, his so Atlanta I'm, episode was crazy. Right. So I'm already watching it, expecting weirdness, right? Um, and then also going into it, everybody said the same thing that you said. Like, yeah, it's cool, but it's weird. Like, it takes a weird turn. So in going into it, um, I was expecting some A Requiem for a Dream shit. And I don't know. Are, are you familiar with that movie? I am. Yeah, so if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with A Requiem for a Dream, basically um, it's four narratives. Everybody has a different addiction. And then there's a wild ending where, you know, one of the characters ends up in jail with his arm amputated. His girl ends up like tricking for money. And like this, the movie ends where her like getting like double fucked wild, like, like a dildo with another like girl for some cocaine or something like that. Like it's really wild and really dark, right? So, so, um, so I was expecting some crazy depressing shit like that. Like when I went into, to, sorry to bother you. Like I was expecting the worst. Like I thought, um, Detroit Tessa Thompson's character, like I thought she was going to like, she was going to turn out to be that fake, um, fake profit figure that the corporation, the Lyft corporation, was, or the worry-free corporation was trying to set up through um, Lakeith's character. I thought, you know, I then I thought that it was going to be the Asian guy. Like, I just thought the craziest things were going to happen. So by the time I got to him mutating into the horse, like, I'm like, oh, that was it? That's the twist? <laughs> that was the twist. And, I'm, you know, I enjoyed it because I was already primed to, you know, expect some weird shit. And I was just happy it wasn't dark. Like, a Requiem for a Dream at the end of it, like, I felt like, oh, shit, like, I need a shower. Like, this is a fucking grisly-ass movie. All right, so when I, I saw it, um, it was two things that really stood out to me. The first being how they always made a point about the code switching that he had to do mm-hmm. for him to get successful. You know, Danny Glover's character was like, yo, you're not going to sell nothing like that. Right. You know you got to put on a better voice. And then he puts on that act. And of course, he starts blowing up. And it was just like, this is what you have to do to succeed. Right. It kind of brought me back to a place where I remember I went to College Park. Mm-hmm. My on-campus job was working kind of like... Uh, it's a thing they call the Maryland Fund, mm-hmm. a.k.a. telemarketing to get alumni to donate to the school. Right. So it was a certain part of like him going through these call lists that it personally hit me where I'm just like, yo, depending on what somebody's name sounds like, you got to talk a certain kind of way to get them to get, you know, to potentially give you money. Mm-hmm. That's all we're doing. We're, yo, I know you had a good experience here. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were, if you had a black name, if you're like, your name is Keisha, I could talk to you one way. Right. You know, um... If you had a, like a Caucasian sounding name, I had to put on my very professional voice and to act a certain way and to pronounce words in a way that would make you feel comfortable. Right. So I got that. But it seemed like everybody in the movie loved what initially that he was able to get from it, but they thought that he was losing himself when he separated from them. Right. And that's the kind of duality that I think a lot of people, specifically black men, we deal with, mm. where we have these situations where 
They want us to be successful in business. But for us to be successful, sometimes we got to leave everybody behind. Right. And that's where things get weird. Yeah. Huh. My take on that is... I just think it speaks to the uniqueness of the black experience. Like you, other races... I'm not even going to say other races because I know they deal with it. For the most part, white people don't have that same challenge of staying with their group. Like they're not. expected to go out and go as far as possible and to do whatever because they don't have the same responsibilities or burden. So it's always interesting. It's always sensitive and interesting to think about, you know, success and, and the fact that you have to part from from where you came from. At the same time, there's also a lot of um, anthropological theories um, and socio socioeconomic theories um, that you can't you can't overcome class. Like the class that you were born in, you can always make more money and you can earn new money, but you will always be of your class in some way. You'll just have more money within that class, if that makes sense. So as much as we worry about, oh, like I'm losing this, I'm losing that, like either either your reality is a fallacy, like you are registering, you're reading your own class wrong, or you are, um, or your perception of how far you've come is exaggerated. Like that's, oh, wow. I, that, and that's just a thought. Like I don't even know if, I'm responding to that theory in, in this context, so I, I don't know exactly if that is true, but it's an interesting thought, you know? Especially when it comes to that movie. Um, mm -hmm. I can't say how true it is in real life, but certainly in that movie, my man was still with the same type of people, right. or at least trying to hang with those people, and then the people in power saw him as something different and not necessarily who he wanted them to see him as. Like He wanted to be, to be seen as like you know this guy that's making a lot of money, doing right. well, and instead, the owner was just looking at him like, yo, I want you to be my MLK. I want you yeah. to get all of these horse people in under control. We're going to pay you all of this money and everything will be all good. You know, as you say that, it also makes me realize that as much as he felt like he was leaving the group behind through his assimilation, he wasn't really like the, I don't think Worry Free actually, like you said, they, I don't think they saw him differently, you know, after all of all that he went through, like they wanted him like, you know, when they cut to the scene of um, him entering the party and they're like, do some nigga shit. And right. so then he's like, you know, nigga shit, nigga right. shit, nigga, right. nigga, nigga, nigga They shit. never changed their opinion. Of yeah. Him. Like he was still like that, that, oh, he's a black guy. Like, you know, bring your cool aesthetic to our dorky party. Right. Yeah. Uh, so... I had mentioned that I saw the trailer for Blind Spotting, right. which I thought was the best of the three movies mm -hmm. um, as a trailer um, in that one. I saw the trailer and instantly thought, like, okay, this is going to be a typical movie. I'm expecting something bad to happen to my man. Mm -hmm. uh, he's going back to jail or he's going to die. Yeah. That was literally my worry through the entire film. Right. Um, I was expecting Crash. Yeah, that it's would not surprise shit. me. Yeah. Which like, is Crash is annoying in its own right. Like Crash was annoying when it came out and it's especially annoying right now. I haven't seen it in like 10 years. I, I mean, neither. But the, I'm, as I'm thinking, thinking about, about the plot, it's just like, oh, we're all affected by this narrative. You know, yeah, like, when my man shoots him in the car at the end. 
yeah. Yeah, it was really sad. <laughs> I mean, it's sad. Not to say that it's not impactful or that it wasn't meaningful, but it's just like in in the context of the fact that we are living crash. It's like that movie. It's just like, all right, we get it. Like racism fucks up everybody, including the people that are proponents of racism. But yeah. But living in a, a it was an Oakland style movie, like straight up. You yeah. Know, from the way that everybody talked. The scenery. The diversity. Yeah. Like, I felt the Oakland thing. What I thought was interesting about the movie is probably, like, the character development of the white guy. Yes. That was yes. the one that I did not see coming based on yes. just, like, my own mind and how the, the movie was going to work. I thought the whole movie, he was going to be like, yo, I'm the white guy that can be like, nigga, 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 and it's all right. good. Die, nigga, die. I'm going to do some shit that's reckless and it's going to probably get you in trouble. That's not how he played out. Yeah. Thank um, God. Right, he ended up seeing the light of day and kind of at the end of the movie, it's like, yo, let me stop putting on this front or this character Mm -hmm. for people to think that I'm cool. Like, it's okay for me to be me. Yeah. Between that and the little kid that was always trying to beat up on, beat up on the dude when he came through. And masculinity, yeah. Right. I'm a tough guy. Right, like, those are the two things that I thought were just so, like, strong to me. They were powerful. That and that he didn't die. I I was really afraid he was going to (laughs) die. If he died, man, I would have been blown. Yo. I would have been blown. It still would have been a great movie if he died, but... I would have been blown. You didn't think he was gonna die when the cop when he was in the basement with the cop? I thought he was gonna die every at every turn. So, so when he was a, he was shook looking at the cop shoot the guy. Yeah, I thought, I thought he was gonna, gonna die. die. Right. I thought that was the first turn, and then it was like again when he's holding the gun to the cop and he's just like you know I knew he was gonna kill him and then bad shit was gonna happen after. Yeah, that. I just knew that's how it was going down. Mm-hmm. But what were the most impactful parts of the movie to you? For me, the most impactful parts of the movie. I think it was more so the element, so not necessarily the piece of the plot. The plot was very strong. The plot was valuable. But for me, I really like the theme of seeing and being seen. Um, it that it could be it, the movie's called Blind Spotting, so that you you know there's already gonna be some sort of theme around you know like what you see and your and your eyes playing tricks on you and in perception and whatnot. Um, but it wasn't cheesy the way that they explored it, like the the way that the um, the director explored it. It was just, you know, the moments when the movie, the one of the themes of the movie is masculinity, and so they had the two guys and they're moving a, a art gallery or something, and and the the artsy curator is like stare at each other, like gentlemen, I want you to stare at each other, <laughs> and they have to like men don't look at each other yeah, unless they, they want to fight. fight. Right? They don't look each other in the eye like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that being like kind of weird. Yeah. Like, well, for me, it was like men need to look at each other. Like, oh my god, like can you just see your brother? But <laughs> I've never been that close to any of my friends. Love them to death. We could do the bro hugs and all of that. It's, but to be like, yeah, just look at me. Like, I, I don't know how I would do that. Like, that just feels But it weird. builds intimacy and in a non, in a non-sexual way. Like, it built, like, having to look at somebody, like, look at them in their eyes and, like, just exist. Like, it builds, um, it builds intimacy because there's an understanding, you know, like, it's uncomfortable and then you push past the discomfort and then there's some, like, oh, that was so bad. Okay. So you do know. you think men probably, like, men have a problem being... You know, having intimacy with other men. Yes. And it comes out in weird... And so, therefore, it comes out in weird ways. But we can go off the deep end with that. 
But that's one of, so the, the staring theme is one that stood out to me. And it comes up again at the end where, um, and I am blanking on his name, but the, the black guy is talking to the white character and there it's after the party where the white guy shows his ass and it's like, you, the black guy, you know, the white guy goes, you know, like you're, you're black, you're six, whatever, you're black. People see you and they notice you're black, but I'm out here being misread as a white man with, you know, the, the cool Oakland tattoos and a grill, and, you know, and the little like fuckboy haircut. Um, he's like, I'm being misread. And then, the, and then the black guy in so many words, I'm fucking up the amazing dialogue, but um, he's like, you know, like you're the nigga that they want to see in me. Like I'm out here just, you know, being low key and you're out here fucking walling and it's you this whole time you are the nigga that they want to see and i thought that was just so powerful and it's so obvious like usually obvious shit and this is gonna like this is gonna bring up my beef with with black clansmen but obvious shit is usually the corniest but this movie did it so well that you didn't mind the obviousness of it i guess it's it's, it's because you know what you brought about about the first part where um as you were explaining how um, you weren't expecting them to address the fact that the white character is kind of a fraud. Like, he's a fraud individual. You thought he was just going to be, like, you know, a part of the aesthetic of the movie. Um, I think that's what made the overtness of the, the staring and seeing theme work because the other pieces were so nicely tied in and, and subtly executed so that you could just really appreciate the whole the whole world of this movie and everything that was trying to happen. Okay, um, so let's get into it. What did you hate about Black Klansmen? Because you clearly, like you said, you had a problem. So okay, I got so a few. Black. <laughs> so Black Klansmen. Um, Black Klansmen. Spike does a lot of work in his movies, and I don't know that we always need him to do that much work. Like, lately, as of late, the last few Spike Lee, even She's Gotta Have It, and Chirac, it's like the characters carry so much. And what I mean by that is they introduce a black girl. And instead of being like, you know, like building her character up and you're learning about who she is and what she's like, she cuts to this dialogue where she's like, Angela Davis. Like, it's, it's a lot of history in, packed into this dialogue and it's a lot of work that he's trying to do and I think that it waters down the experience of the movie. I appreciate it because in this age of information um, a lot gets lost. Like there's a lot of things that we don't know about our history or that we don't know about the past. There's a lot of shit being rewritten about the past. Glossed over. Glossed over because we have so much of it but his movies don't need to have so much overt information in them like we get it like we 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 understand the context that you're creating this movie in and and what you're trying to say but it doesn't need to read like a high school like um or even a middle school a middle school history film like i'm a i'm rapping but um nice. if you bars. remember um ml do you did your school show mlk and me during um, every damn Martin Luther King Day. It it's did. almost like that movie. Okay. Like MLK and me, the fucking, um, the fucking Martin Luther King cartoon movie where it's just like, it's supposed to have 
information in it. And therefore, every scene is not just a cartoon. It's just like a lot of facts and a lot of work being done. And it's not natural. It's like if I were to give you like my entire personal history in a casual conversation. Like yeah, it's just never not happens. realistic. Right. But that was my that's my first beef with his recent movies in general. I can go on, but I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the mic breathe. <laughs> so I think my biggest beef with Black Klansman, uh David Washington's character. That's my so, second beef. Go ahead. I thought that the way that he portrayed himself the entire movie was super whack. Like, I think it's cool that, like, A, you want to have this guy that wants to do things and wants to help out, and I get all of that. But literally, he sounded like a cornball. I watch Ballers. I'm not saying that he has to give me Ricky Jarrett. I know that this is a totally different thing, but the actual way that he sounded, and I'm trying to say this in a nice way without it being like, as a kid, I grew up, people said that, oh, you talk white, you right. can't be cool. So I'm not trying to go that route, but that's almost like mm-hmm. how he sounded in my opinion, where he was very much trying to sound differently than what he was. But then it would be like the the whole, yeah, you know, you yeah. right, sister girl. Like they were doing a lot of that stuff and it just felt corny and forced to me. So that's interesting that you bring that because I agree with you, but for different reasons. So I kind of understand what Spike was doing there because he needed a contrast to the black woman who knows herself, which was his little love interest in the in the movie. Right. You know, she knew she knows her identity. She knows what she believes in. She knows why she's there. She knows she's just on her shit and then you have this guy that because of his i don't even know let's let's assume that his background is upwardly middle class like he might be lower middle class but, but he's definitely in the middle class yeah uh, you know i feel like he was right okay so let's say that let's assume that his character is middle class right so we have he needed to be that way because he needed to be betwixt and in between so he needed to be in limbo between the two identities in order to aspire to want to be a policeman, you know, like it had that, that part made sense to me. And I think that that needed to be explored. Like black people who are coming from some degree of privilege and how they're figuring out they're black, like, are you black or are you black, black? Like they're figuring out that, that identity, um, they had to do that. But my beef with his character was the characterization. And I don't, so what I mean by that is, um, I didn't like how much of a rookie he was. And I did not get the comedic value from his character. So he was kind of a doofus. Like he was kind of like, kind of an idiot the the entire movie. Like the way that he was just kind of like, his mannerisms and and how, like you said, like he was like corny. And for me, it wasn't an intonation thing, but like even when dealing with the his love interest, like he just seemed clumsy about it. He seemed like a rookie, and I get that he was supposed to be kind of fresh out, kind of green, but it bothered me. Um, it really bothered me. I didn't like that part, and that's just a personal thing. Um, I think maybe it was more bothersome than it needed to be because it wasn't funny. Like, if his character was funny, then I could, I could rock with him more. Like, I thought um, the two... So, see, that's the one thing. I That part didn't bother me. The fact that he was a doofus? Yeah, and he kind of... <laughs> you know, tripped over his own feet a lot, especially when it came to like the girl, the re or the woman, excuse Mm -hmm. me. The reason I didn't bother with me was 
it was mostly because I saw my man like, okay, you know what? I can't tell her who I really am. There's this part of me that's hanging out here where I'm a cop, I'm a pig, I'm all of these things that you guys are saying you hate, but I really like you. So I'm trying to keep it as basic as possible so that I don't screw this up because clearly you see something in me that you always want to go out with me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I can do to keep this situation cool, but I have to be as straight as possible to make sure that this goes okay. Mm. Like, guy liking girl, I get that. Especially with him, you know, again, he just felt like there was so much like that he wanted to say that he couldn't. Like, Maybe he got better after she found out that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, obviously the credits are rolling, but maybe he got better. But that's what, in my mind, why I was like, okay, I can justify it. I get it. Mm. You can't be smooth and cool when you're always worried about her seeing the truth. And by the time she saw the truth, they got the classic Spike Lee moment where, the, you know, they're yeah. looking out the window and then you see the camera yeah, coming to which you. which I thought was actually pretty dope. Yes, you see that in every Spike movie. Yeah, that nice little aesthetic touch in there. Um, so yeah, Black Klansman does a lot of work. It's cool as a primer for people who need to understand racism in the U.S. Um, I was talking about this on my Instagram and um, and on Twitter, and someone said that they could not tell who the movie was for, and I thought that that was very telling. And I think that that speaks to how constructed Spike Lee made the movie. Like, like I said, like you know, packing. Like I said earlier, packing in so much information into casual dialogue. What were the demographics in your action when you saw the movie in your theater? Um, I went to Chinatown Regal, and I don't remember. So I went to Atlantic Plumbing. Um. 30 people in the movie theater. Yeah. Let's say 20 of them are white. Yeah. Should we make movies for white people? I feel like white people that go to see Black Klansmen are not the people that we need to be speaking to. Like, if you're if you're a white person going to see Black Klansmen, you're already, like, you're not, you know, I'm not going to do that whole, like, you're a nice cookout thing, but, like, you are pretty much, like, taking an initiative to understand black people or consume black media or, or you know, a, a subject that might make you uncomfortable. You, you've already, step one, I need us to reach, like, level 10 white people that hate niggas, like, that use the ER. So, <laughs> and I don't know that this movie... That movie's not going to speak to them. It's but not. I think that there are people in the middle that probably aren't the ones who were like, eh, you can come to the cookout too. It's cool. Just don't make your potato salad. <laughs> um, and I think that because I had a conversation with a guy on Twitter uh, after the whole, you know, Nike signs Colin Kaepernick thing. Mm -hmm. Like, guy made this point. I literally was just like, yo, I'm not trying to be dismissive of your opinion. I just want to know why you feel like you can't support Nike right now mm -hmm. in your words and tell me. So he basically broke it down in a way where it was just like, hey, you know, I think it's all about respect. When MLK was uh, kind of pushing um, civil rights, it was respectful. When these things were happening, it was respectful. And then I started breaking stuff down to him. I'm like, all right, I'm not saying that I disagree with you, but here's some facts behind some of the stuff that you had. Mm -hmm. Black people didn't really like MLK mm -hmm. when this when the civil rights era was was live. Mm -hmm. White people hated him, and it's not even like let's say it was 50-50. 50% of the population hated him because they were racist. The other 50% of the population hated him because he was like, you know, they thought he was a rebel rouser. It's like mm -hmm. you're creating so much commotion, we can't live our lives. 
Mm. None of the stuff that he did was, you know, quote unquote, respectful. Right. You had, you know, dogs and fire hoses and all of these things sicked on these people because people felt like what they were doing wasn't respectful. He even gave me Rosa Parks, like, protests sitting on a bus being, you know, something that was respectful. And I'm like, no. If it was respectful, an officer wouldn't have pulled her off the bus and put her in jail mm-hmm. because of her sitting in that seat. Later on, we get the chance to see things through a different lens. Yeah. A lot of times we're better now than we used to be. That doesn't mean, and I'm not saying I don't care what side of the, the Colin Kaepernick thing that people kind of land on. But you can't say that it's a respect thing when an army vet told him, hey, do this because it's respectful. People right. kneel when they're praying at church. People kneel at cemeteries because they're showing respect to people. This way is very respectful to me and it doesn't make me feel bad. Right. If the same person who was, again, you know, decorated officer, Green Beret, all of these things told him to do it and he did it. Why is it that so many people are against that? Mm-hmm. That's how I look at that. So as much as I would love to say like, hey, Spike, don't make those movies for the people that are kind of already there. You got to start reaching people a little by little. Yeah. You got to reel them in because if we kind of give up on them, we get Trump. Right. And that, you know what? And that, now that you've um, you highlighted that, that that person's, you know, comments to you, his revisionist version of history, I guess there is some value in Spike making these super information dense dialogues and, and elements in his movie that somebody needs to hear. I, I don't always need to see it, like especially if the characters are just at a diner and they're supposed <laughs> to be in a romantic moment. Right. I don't need all of that. But if white people are walking around saying like, oh, MLK was respectful, then like clearly we do need all that, so. Yo, I, I told my man, I was like, yo, if you come to DC, I will personally go to the African American History Museum with you. Straight up. Like, I don't know you for shit. Mm-hmm. But I think that you need to get a lesson so that you see just how things were. And the change isn't always respectful. Right. Like, sometimes change is hard. And mm-hmm. people won't like it. But years down the line, we're probably going to look at Colin Kaepernick the same way people revere Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Like, I can see that happening in my lifetime. Right. We hated, my, or not we, but they hated Muhammad Ali when he wouldn't go to war. They hated that he changed his name from Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. That wasn't, again, quote unquote, respectful. My man is dodging a draft in their opinion. But he did what he thought was right. right. Regardless. So we got to get these people. We got to. Yeah. Um, I thought I had another thought. I don't. So of the three movies that we talked about, which one was your favorite and kind of why? Um... Blind Spotting was my favorite because it was the most obvious, but it took the most risk in how it was executed. Like there was, I didn't know that there was rap and like nobody mentioned that there are like moments where it's almost like a musical where he is rapping things that move the plot forward. I mean, he is from Hamilton. Oh, see, I didn't, but I'm not in the Hamilton wave, so... So yeah, so I didn't, but nobody mentioned that. Like okay. even though, like right. even still, like nobody mentioned that part, and um, it wasn't cheesy. Like when I was watching it, like that can go very wrong. If I told you, like yeah, like I'm going to go see this race movie, and like sometimes the guy raps in it, like that sounds that's corny as shit. Like I don't want to see that shit, but but. But it was very, very well done and it wasn't corny and it wasn't, and these are these intense moments and it wasn't awkward like, oh, shit, he rapping now? Like, it was just like, 
No, like it was emotion. You know, it was an emotionally appropriate response. Um, I also like the characterize the characterization. Like like you said, like the white guy was very well developed. Um, it touched on a lot of nuances. It that it didn't have to, and that it and it did it in a, in a in a good way. You didn't feel like oh like they didn't do this enough or they didn't explore you know whatever. Like it was very well executed. Um, and it was just a, a decent story. And the shit was actually funny. Like the, the script, like the writing was sharp in blind spotting. So like I could watch it. Like it was, it wasn't palatable in a sense that like it was an easy watch per se, but it was an enjoyable watch that I would, you know, put it in a rotation. Um, and this is coming from someone who hates movies. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, I don't hate movies, but they're just not my first thing that I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Um, honorable mention goes to Sorry to Bother You just because it was such a fun world to see. So, like, the way that time hyperlapsed in Sorry to Bother You, the way that, you know, when he picked up the phone and he would drop into someone's living room, and the way that things worked in the universe of that movie, that was fly to me. Like that, I like cartoons as of late. Um, I didn't really watch cartoons as a kid, but I watched them a lot as an adult. And so I'm into, like if, if you're making a movie, like you should make the movie that you want. Like you should have a flying car in your shit. Like why not, you know? Without, without calling it a fantasy movie or a sci-fi movie. Um, so, yeah. What about you? Uh, one spot goes to blind spotting. Um, I'll agree with everything you said. Uh, I thought it was a really Cali movie that was set in our world. And I could sort of see a lot of the stuff did. Mm -hmm. From my man that had the Uber that had, like, you know, uh, the car on them huge rims. To them having all of the guns in the car. Uh, to my man saying, like, I'm going to drive an Uber. Like, y'all niggas got to get out the car. Mm -hmm. I thought all of that was kind of funny because literally that's the character that that guy played. Mm -hmm. Um... I always wonder what the main character did to get locked up. So what, I don't I don't think we ever saw that. We we did, yeah. What but, did you do? Uh, so the way they introduced it was actually fly as well. Um, they he was you know clocking into his bullshit job at the moving company. Two guys come in and they're like doing oh, a halfway house thing. Yeah, right. and he and they come into his job for some movie supplies and they're like, oh, you're the dude from the Scorpion, and it's an Indian guy and it's a black guy. And so the Indian guy, like, well, let me tell you about this nigga. I mean, and the black guy goes, like, you know, like, I told you only say that around me. So then that's, like, a, a subtle, like, little point to explore there. Um, and then the then they run it down, and basically he is a bouncer at a bar. A guy, a white guy comes to the bar, gets a huge-ass drink, tries to take it outside to show his friend. He tells him, bring the drink back inside. Guy says no, then going back to the whole thing about masculinity the black guy bigs up on him and he's like yo i said take it back inside and then they end up fighting the white guy um is an agitator in the situation and i guess from the white guy's perspective he was not allowing his friend to get disrespected and get ran over and he was showing these white you know newcomers whose neighborhood it was but what ends up happening is that they beat the guy to shit, and then um, the drink has a flame. The flame sets fire to the alcohol, and then the guy, you know, the black guy goes to jail, and okay. here we are. Okay. Um, I thought that his story 
was probably the most compelling of like the main characters that we saw. Because like I said, mm-hmm. we kind of both talked about how we dissed uh, my man from Black Klansman. Lakeith Stanfield's character was cool, uh, but I thought literally I could imagine that character having a, a, a real life component. We all know somebody. Which character could uh, have a real life? The character from uh, Blind Spotting uh, yeah. with the curly hair. Everybody has a friend who's probably done something stupid, mm-hmm. potentially gone to jail, and you see them trying to live life in a better way so that they don't get in trouble. Right. But they hang around with the wrong people and certain things happen around them, mm-hmm. and it's always like they can almost go back. Yeah. And so seeing that, like, I can literally see, like, one of my best friends growing up, love him to death, but I can't rock with you because I already know, you know, kind of the people that you associate with. Right. And so because of that, I stay away. Doesn't mean I don't love you, but it also means that at the same time, you might put yourself in a position that you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's always running from that. So mm-hmm. I literally, uh, I relate a lot of the, the things that I see based, based on my own life. Mm-hmm. And so when that hit me, I'm just like, man, I really don't want to see anything ha- bad happen to him. Yeah. Please don't, you know. Get shot, don't get killed. Right, get and one your of these girl random, back. Yeah, one How of these do you feel about fights. his girl or his ex? Uh, Val. She Val. still wanted him, but at the same time, she was pissed off at him. It was like a weird dynamic. I thought Val was an interesting dynamic because Val is not black. And I don't know if, I don't know how, if the message would be slightly different if she was black. And if the same message could be communicated if she was. Because she, you know, her deal with their with the, their flawed romance is, you know, she always wanted him to be different, to be better. to You know, and not in like a, why can't you just be white kind of way? But like, you could argue that it was just a matter of safety. Like, cut your hair because you don't want people thinking that you're every guy out here with dress that's like smacking people or whatever. Uh, um, and then, you know, only seeing him as the criminal from that night at the bar and not seeing him for who he, he was, really even though he was sincere about changing his life. But he wasn't a bad guy. He never was. He wasn't. Yeah, he definitely wasn't. But I think I thought she was interesting because she was East Indian. You know, she played in True Blood. See, I, yeah. I so she's not a new actress. Like she's been yeah. black for a minute. But yeah, I believe she's Indian. Yeah, so she's Indian, so it's like brown, you're brown, you're but minority. it's That's still, you still don't fully understand the black experience. They don't understand it at all. And I mean, I think that part but of I, the reason why she wanted him to be better, it's a big deal a lot of times when Indians date like black guys mm-hmm. or date people that aren't Indian. I dated an Indian girl for a hot minute when I lived in LA. And funny enough, when we bro- when we stopped messing around, she found an Indian guy. Six months later, she's married. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just like that. But a lot of it was because there's a certain perception that they have. Right. And I think that's why she wanted him to be better. It wasn't just for himself. It was, you know, that's a, a bonus. But it's like, hey, I got to present you to my family. Yeah. You got to look a certain way, check off these boxes, because it's already going to be some shit when I bring you home. Right. So... And can you imagine, like, you know, I haven't really dated interracially, but can you imagine, like, wanting to be better in general for yourself, you know, but then also going to work and wanting to be, like, the work version of you, and then where your relationship should be, your peace, your refuge, you know, where you are yourself, you having to be, like, 
the relationship version of you, like the on paper version of you for your relationship. Like I feel like that's just a lot. Like it's a, it's a lot. It is. It's a lot to take on. <laughs> and to build to build a life with somebody. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me at, at Cult Classic at C U L T C L A S S I Q. Um, hashtag Cult TV is where you can find any of my Instagram content around my episodes. Um, that screen name, Cult Classic, is good for Twitter and Instagram as well. Am I anywhere else? That's it for now. I'm, I'm trying to say, I'm nah, running through gotta, everything. Like, yeah, that means we got to get you some more places. It's yeah, all good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I appreciate this conversation. I think it's been dope. Uh, obviously, I hope that people get something from this. Um, I'm not the biggest movie person, and seeing indie films has never been my mm-hmm. thing. I don't remember the last indie film I saw, and I saw two this summer. So, right. You know I'm saying for the win. Um, Shout out to Movie Pass. That's the only reason I'm not a movie person. So I mean, I've, and I've said this, and I say this all the time. But like, if it wasn't for Movie Pass, I would not even be watching all these movies, let alone talking about them via your invitation. So thank you for inviting me. I'm gonna keep it real. Movie Pass is why I went to see some of these. Yeah. It was just like, it's all like, right, fuck it, I'm gonna see a movie. Yeah, like I got ten dollars. Like now it's like I canceled my thing, and I think it runs out September 15th mm-hmm. or something. I'm like, I got two more movies I need to see just to get my money's worth. Um, yeah, I'm keeping movie pass until it dies. A movie a week until movie pass dies. That shit's dying soon. <laughs> uh, this has been another episode of the Real World. I thank everybody, and we'll see you next week.